0: Today's Scriptures from Lamentations 3, 19 through 27. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will have hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, welcome, uh, y'all, to Christ Community. Y'all, where did that come from? I don't know. <laughs> all right, whatever. Uh, it's good to see you all. Uh, my name is Reed Kappel, and I'm a cowboy, apparently. Uh, it's, good, it's good to be here. Um, I'm one of the pastors here at Olathe Campus, and uh, yeah, just a joy to be with you. As we open God's Word together, uh, I do want to pray just for our time before we jump in, so let's, let's take a moment to pray. Father in heaven, we pause in this moment to ask for you to bless the teaching of your Word. Lord, I, I, I feel acutely right now just my, my brokenness, my, uh, my insufficiency, uh, and Lord, I pray for your Spirit to teach us, to show us uh, who you are, Lord, what it means to know you, to trust in you, to hope in you, to wait on you. And so, Lord, may your word edify us, encourage us, comfort us, challenge us, and may this time be a means by which we honor you. Lord, we pray this all in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. Well, um, yeah, happy Thanksgiving. I think we can kind of say that for a couple more days, you know, but I hope you guys had a good uh, Thanksgiving with family. Uh, I had a, a great time with my family. A lot of people, very loud, but, but really joyful. But, but now that Thanksgiving is kind of behind us, we, we now enter into the season of Christmas shopping. Uh, and so whether good or bad, we are going to find ourselves, and probably some of you already have, spending countless hours, it feels like, in line, waiting, whether in a grocery store or at the mall or waiting in the car. I mean, we just this is the season of waiting in so many ways. And, and merchants know that waiting is such a pain for us, and they capitalize on it by the way they tempt us with these useless items in the checkout line at the store. Uh, And and in fact, there were a few years ago uh, in the New York Times, there was an article entitled, Why Waiting in Line is Torture. At, and it, it, in the article, it talks about, it It refers to waiting as the, the, the drudgery of unoccupied time. That's a great way to describe what waiting is. Uh, and in the article, uh, it asserts that, uh, that this whole kind of waiting, this drudgery of unoccupied time, it accounts in large measure for the popularity of impulse buy items, which earn supermarkets about $5.5 billion uh, annually the tabloids and packs of gum offer relief from the agony of waiting. And, and this is true. We all know this. We've been in a You can't stand it. And you're, you're actually entertaining the idea of buying this like ceramic reindeer soap dispenser. Like, yeah, I think I really need that. You know, you'd rather waste money on something you don't need than just be a human and wait and kind of maybe grow in patience. But we all hate it. We hate waiting. Waiting is the worst in so many ways. And, and, and when you think about Where we've been, if you've been with us the past few weeks, we've been exploring the life of Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet. And in many ways, Jeremiah knows the pain of waiting far more than we do. He is acquainted with waiting in a unique way. And what we've been doing kind of up until this point is is looking at the life of Jeremiah and exploring this idea that really the life that God calls Jeremiah to, and he calls us to, is a life that is too big for us. And, And that's kind of the point. God wants us to be in a place of dependency, But we wrap up our series today by turning to the small book of Lamentations, uh, which follows Jeremiah. It's a a collection of five lament poems written by Jeremiah after the Babylonian exile. So so Judah has been taken uh, to Babylon in exile. Jerusalem has been destroyed. The temple of the Lord is left in ruins. And Jeremiah, writing these poems in Jerusalem, is reflecting on the fact that that God is, is just seemingly absent. He's waiting for God to do something, to deliver, to rescue, to, to destroy his enemies. And Jeremiah waits and waits and waits. And you and I know, we know the pain of waiting. We know it on superficial levels, like we wait for a Netflix video to download or buffer. You know, we wait for our food to be delivered. We wait in line at the store. But we also find ourselves waiting for more significant things. We find ourselves waiting for a new job opportunity. We're waiting for this acceptance letter from the school we want to attend. We're waiting for a diagnosis or a cure. We're waiting for a positive pregnancy test. We're waiting for a wayward child to return home. We all feel and experience the pain of waiting, which is why it's not a stretch to say waiting is the worst. But what I want us to see this morning from the life of Jeremiah and in his honest words and lamentations is that while waiting is the worst, I think it's also there's a sense in which it might be what's best for us. That while waiting is the worst, I think it's also what might be best for us. And I think Jeremiah discovers this in the midst of his sorrowful, painful, agonizing season of waiting on the Lord. We've seen throughout the book of Jeremiah that God has called him to a life that is beyond him. But as we wrap up the series in the book of Lamentations, what we begin to see is that Jeremiah also models a life that waits in hope. He models a life that waits in hope. So, waiting is the worst. I think we know that. We've experienced that. But how on earth can waiting also possibly be what is best for us? Because we tend to think of waiting, we equate waiting with pain, with anxiety, with frustration, impatience. But when you read the scriptures, this this idea of waiting is actually very positive. We don't have like a positive category for, for for waiting, It's all negative, but the scriptures refer to waiting as this opportunity, it's this incubator where we grow in patience and dependence. We grow in contentment, we grow in trust. And so the scriptures have a very different picture of waiting than what we have. In fact, the Bible actually describes waiting not as a facet of a life lived with God, but it's, it's the overall description of what it means to know God, to worship him. So much of what it means to live with God is to wait, on him, in his timing, in his infinite wisdom and infinite power. And deep down, you and I, I think we know this. I think we know the importance of waiting. As, as painful as it is, as much as we try to avoid it, we know deep down that we have to learn how to wait. I mean, there's a reason why your parents taught you to wait. I mean, it's, it's, it's so inherent in child rearing. Like, you, you teach your children to wait because you know that if your kids, if I never learned to wait... I would find myself waiting a long time to become the person I want to be. We know, I mean, the kids have to learn to wait their turn, wait in line, wait until you're older. Like, we're all waiting. And it's the reason why I took my daughter to the DMV last month uh, to teach her this very <laughs> discipline, because I'm an awesome dad, you know, a uh, little date night. Uh, so, so I took Jane to the DMV. I'm not kidding. Uh, we went there. We're waiting. And we've been waiting. you took our number. We're waiting about 45 minutes, which is a long time, you know, for a seven-year-old and a 37-year-old, but, uh, but we're waiting in line, and, and it's about 9.30 in the morning, 45 minutes passed, and Jane turns to me with this kind of panic, and she says like, Dad, shouldn't we kind of like get moving here? I was like, well, what do you mean? She's like, well, we're going to miss dinner. And I was like, what time do you think it is, Jane? She's like, I don't know, seven? And, and like literally in her mind, she thought like this entire day had passed by. That's what the DMV, it's a wormhole, you know, it's just a black hole of time. But, but in all seriousness, I mean, we, we feel that. That in our waiting, we feel like we're just wasting time. That's the pain of it, the drudgery of unoccupied time. But we also know that if we don't learn to wait, we will find ourselves waiting a long time to become the person we long to be. And and really, this is what Jeremiah teaches us, I think, so well in his collection of lament poems in the book of Lamentations. As you read his poems of lament, you, you feel his pain I mean, it's raw honesty. I mean, look, look at chapter 3, verses 16 and 18. You see this honesty of Jeremiah. He says, He has made my teeth grind on gravel. He's made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. So Jeremiah's sorrow, I mean, this is real. This is on. I mean, he's he's not just kind of exaggerating. He is sitting in Jerusalem looking at the destruction of Jerusalem. And he's writing these words. In fact, the 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 Dutch artist Rembrandt captured Jeremiah's lament of Jerusalem in this painting. You see Jeremiah sitting there to the left, you see Jerusalem burning, the ruins of the temple. It's kind of hard to see from this angle. But but you also see, I mean, Jeremiah is just in this kind of this this quintessential like. Posture of melancholy, you know, he's just sad. I mean, you, almost, you can almost hear him saying, man, this sucks. Like, you just, you just see it, right? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what this picture is communicating. And, and, and Rembrandt has captured this to help us understand that Jeremiah is not just like, oh, this is a tough time. I mean, he is in agony. He is in pain. He is waiting on the Lord, waiting for God to do something. And God seems to be absent, silent, or perhaps incompetent. But as we continue reading in Lamentations, particularly chapter 3, in the middle of this collection of poems, we begin to see a turn in the tone of Jeremiah's writing. And particularly, in starting in verse 19, we read these words. Jeremiah cries out to God, remember my affliction and my wanderings. That word wanderings, it can also mean homelessness. Remember the fact that I have no home, God. Remember the wormwood and the gall, my soul, it continually remembers it and it is bowed down within me. And then there's this important and imperative word, but, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. So yes, waiting is the worst. We, we know the pain of waiting. We try to do all that we can to avoid it. But there's a sense in which waiting also might be what's best for us, which sounds ridiculous. So how on earth is this possible? And the first thing I want us to see from Lamentations 3, is that that waiting allows us the opportunity to remember the past. What waiting does, it allows us the opportunity to remember the past. So what does Jeremiah do as he waits, as he sits looking at the destruction of Jerusalem, as he laments the loss of his family members and friends who are either dead or in Babylonian exile? In this moment, Jeremiah is reminding himself of God's love and faithfulness that has been displayed throughout his life. And we see this very clearly starting in verse 21. But this I call to mind, that imperative word, but, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Now, the thing to notice is that nothing changes in Jeremiah's circumstances The temple is not rebuilt. He doesn't have family members return. He's still sequestered in that cave, leaning on his hand in sorrow and agony. Nothing has changed in his circumstances, but what has changed is Jeremiah's perspective. He begins to turn his gaze from the pain and the sorrow that he's in to the goodness of God and his faithfulness and love. Now, this didn't bring an end to his waiting, But what it did, by by shifting his perspective from the pain that he was in to the goodness of God and what he has done throughout time, Jeremiah is enabled to wait without falling into despair. This, This remembering, this reflecting and looking back is like a pressure release valve. It doesn't take away the pain, but it creates a sense of capacity to handle the pain that we're experiencing. Again, Jeremiah is not dismissing the, the, the pain that he's expressed in verses 1 through 20, and really the first two chapters of Lamentations, but rather he is saying something profound about God. In this season of waiting, Jeremiah is saying, as great as his sorrow is, as great as the pain and the loss that he's experienced is, God is greater. And Jeremiah knows this because of who God has been and what he has done. And Jeremiah wouldn't have been able to, in this moment, in the the midst of his honest, raw anguish, he would not be able to bring to mind the steadfast, loyal love of God unless he had this opportunity in his waiting to look back and reflect. Jeremiah wouldn't have been able to get to this point of remembering God's goodness and faithfulness unless he was in the crucible of waiting. Jeremiah, he begins to turn his attention to God in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his waiting. And it is through his sorrowful waiting that he is put into a position to see God in ways that comfort could never provide him. But Jeremiah does another thing. Yes, he remembers the goodness of God, his faithfulness and love, but Jeremiah is also quick to recognize, and we see this towards the end of chapter 3, is that the predicament he's in and the predicament that God's people are in they brought it on themselves. The the reason why Judah was taken into exile, the reason why Jerusalem was destroyed is because they failed to repent. They failed to turn, they, they rebelled against God. They chose to live for themselves and for other gods. They completely discredited the goodness of God and his commands over their life. And so the predicament they're in is because of what they have done. And so yes, yes, there are times in our life where the sorrow we're experiencing, the season of waiting we're in is because of other people's brokenness, is because of other people's sin. But we should, like Jeremiah, in this moment, consider that perhaps the pain and the sorrow and the agony and the waiting we're experiencing, perhaps it is directly because of our own brokenness. That's not always the case, but we should be at least willing in this season of waiting to reflect on and repent of our brokenness. Waiting affords us the opportunity to see how deeply seated our sin is. And it's an opportunity to rely on and to trust in the steadfast love of the Lord, which is what Jeremiah calls to mind. In his time of sorrow, in his time of reflecting on his brokenness and the brokenness of Judah, what does Jeremiah call to mind? He calls to mind the loyal love of God, the steadfast love of God, the covenant love of God, which we talked about last week. Essentially what Jeremiah is doing is he's remembering the wedding vows that God had made to his people. Jeremiah in this moment is able to hope in his waiting because he's looking back at God's promises. He's looking back at God's promise making love specifically that will never be broken. And this is what waiting affords us, The season of waiting we're in, we want to get over it, we want to get through it and just get to the place where we finally have the thing that we're waiting for. But if we are too quick, we will miss out on what this season of waiting affords us, the opportunity to look back and remember God's faithfulness. The pain of waiting turns into a pathway of hope for us when we change the perspective of the past. Let me say that again. The pain of waiting turns into a pathway of hope for us by our perspective of the past. And so while we want to rush through the season of waiting, perhaps God is wanting us to slow down and to remember him, to look back and see how he has been faithful, to see his love towards us and towards others. So how do we do that? What does that look like? Well, let me suggest a few things as we think about this idea of waiting, waiting that remembers the past. Let me suggest two things for us. The first is that I think we need to grow in, in the disciplines of remembrance. We we are a forgetful people. I, I guess I'll just speak for myself. I'm a forgetful person. I know that if I don't put something into my phone or make a reminder, I am just lost. And so I need those reminders. How much more do do I, do we need the reminders of God's faithfulness throughout our lives? We are so quick to forget. And perhaps, perhaps the reason we find ourselves so frustrated in the present, in our season of waiting, perhaps the reason we're so frustrated in our present is because we have forgotten how good God has been in the past. In some ways, I think that our frustration in the present with God is rooted in the fact that we have forgotten how good he has been. And waiting affords us the opportunity to look back and remember all the ways in which God has been there for us and provided for us. And so, so think about, I mean, maybe the discipline of remembrance for you, maybe it's journaling. You know, maybe it's a means by, by recording and remembering the ways in which God has been at work. I recently, we were opening up some boxes in our basement and I came across a journal of mine from college. Uh, and that was right around the time when I came to, to Faith in Christ. And it was so interesting just to see the things that I prayed and, and, and the questions I asked and to see, my goodness, I... I have grown. I actually have matured in likeness. That's, that's encouraging to see, but that journal served as a reminder for me that God has been at work, and I got to see the way that I prayed for certain things and see how those prayers were answered, and so perhaps journaling is a practice for you, or it might just be coming to church more consistently, and, and I don't say that as your pastor to make you feel guilty, like, oh, geez, but, but to say, look, we need to gather together to be reminded of, by each other of how good God has been, Because oftentimes, if you're like me, sometimes the best way to be aware of and to grow and understand God's goodness is to see how good he has been in the lives of others. I mean, I can't tell how many times in community group or in conversations and relationships where I'm at a place of just spiritual dryness, and as I see the way God has been at work in this person's life, it compels me. It stirs in my affections a desire to know God more. And so perhaps we need the practice of being in community. So secondly, we need the disciplines of remembrance, but, but secondly, I would suggest that we need to have hearts of thanksgiving. I mean, we just celebrated the season where we kind of pause and intentionally say what we're thankful for, and that's a great discipline, but really what we need is we need to practice thanksgiving year-round, just with less tryptophan and turkey, you know I mean? But, but seriously, like we, we need to have this practice of being more grateful for the ways in which God has been at work in our lives and through the work of other people. Perhaps what we find in our lives is that in our waiting, we find our waiting to be unbearable because our hearts might be ungrateful. Perhaps our waiting is unbearable because our hearts are ungrateful. And so we need to grow. And I I, I truly do. I think one of the best ways to conquer a bitter and frustrated heart is to grow in the discipline of gratitude. So, waiting remembers the past. Waiting allows us an opportunity to look back and see what God has done, but waiting also enables us to delight in today. Waiting enables us to delight in today. And we, and we turn now in, in, this, in Lamentations 3 to what's maybe the more familiar verses. If you've grown up in church, maybe you've sung these words. But we see in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, these words that by themselves are, look great. You know, you could stitch them on a pillow, put them on a coffee mug. But when you read them in the context, the contrast is startling. I mean, when, when you go from Jeremiah saying, my soul is bereft of peace, I have forgotten what happiness is. And then immediately in that same breath, what does Jeremiah say? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Jeremiah remembers and he looks back at the loyal love of God And that reflection, that remembrance of God's loyal love enables Jeremiah to have eyes to see the way in which God's mercies are new that very day. As as Jeremiah remembers God's faithfulness, it prepares him and gives him eyes to see how God is at work now, even as he sees the rubble of the temple before his eyes. Thomas Merton, uh, an early 20th century uh, monk, a uh, Catholic monk, uh, describes this, this idea of having this gratitude as he re- reflecting on Lamentations 3. He says this, to be grateful is to recognize the love of God in everything he has given us. And he has given us everything. Every breath we draw is a gift of his love. Every moment of existence is grace. Gratitude, therefore, takes nothing for granted, is never unresponsive, is constantly awakening to new wonder and to praise of the goodness of God. Each day is not just an opportunity for God to show mercy to us. It is an opportunity for us to praise Him and delight in Him. And so in some ways, I think the the, the discipline of, of seeing God's faithfulness in the past, it prepares us and gives us eyes to see His goodness now. And really, in many ways, waiting, while we want to get through it, waiting in some ways is the remedy to the poison of busyness in our life. Waiting allows us to slow down and to see how God is good, how he is at work in our midst, to see the things that we are so quick to dismiss and ignore. And I'll say, like, in this moment, I was was reading Lamentations 3 one morning, and I honestly, just in my cynical heart, I just said, like, how is this true, Lord? How are your mercies new every morning? And in that moment, my son, Edmund, who's just sitting here, that's all he does, he just sits, but, but he's sitting here, and literally, as I was honestly asking the Lord, like, how are your mercies every morning? Eddie just turned to me and just went, hi. <laughs> and, and, and I say that, and it, it warmed my heart because, like, what I realized in that moment is that that is a new thing. Like, I am experiencing my son today in a new way. Like, this is, this is a new mercy. Do I have the eyes to see it? So again, how do we live this day? How do we live this way of knowing that God's mercies are new every day? How do we have the eyes to see it? Let me suggest two things for us. First is start your day right. Start your day right. And what I mean by that is don't allow the distractions of life to begin your day. Don't, just keep your phone off. Don't let your phone be the first thing you look at. Don't open your computer. Don't check your text messages. Don't turn on the TV. Let the first thing you see and say be focused On God's Word. And think about how different our days would be if we began them by hearing from God through His Word and responding to Him in prayer. God's mercies are new every morning. Do we have the eyes to see it? In many ways, we have to calibrate the eyes of our heart to see that God's mercies are new. If we don't start our day right, my fear is that we will go throughout our day with with blinders on dismissing and ignoring all of the profound mercies that are new every day, the mercies of sight in our eyes, the mercy of, of sound in our ears, the fact that, that food tastes good, the fact that we have friends and, f- and family, the fact that, that, that the, the laughter of, of children brings such warmth. I mean, we are so quick to dismiss the good things in life, and perhaps it's because we don't start our days right, but secondly, we also need to end our days right. End your day right, because in some ways, perhaps the best way to prepare our hearts to see God's new mercies every day is to get into the habit of looking back at the end of the day and asking yourselves, how did I see God at work? What is there to be thankful for? How can I praise God for who He is and what He has done? Perhaps the best thing we need in, in beginning our days with eyes that see His mercies is, is the discipline of ending our days by looking back Okay, so, so maybe some of you are with, maybe, maybe you're seeing, okay, I can see the, the benefit of waiting. I can see that it allows us to remember, it allows us to maybe have new eyes for today. But some of you still might be saying, nope, waiting is the worst. Waiting is the worst. And, and I get that. But let me offer just one, one thing for us to consider. I think the only thing worse than waiting is, is having nothing to wait for. I mean, I mean, I just want you to think about what, like, if, if you're at this place of, like, I'm just waiting, I, I want God to, to act and to intervene, I'm waiting for this thing to happen, for this person to respond, whatever it may be, what is the thing you're waiting for? And if you get it, if it comes, if it arrives, who's to say that that same thing that you're longing for won't just cause frustration and pain months later? I mean, I mean, the, the longing for a relationship. Yes, it's a good thing, but but also a relationship brings with it pain and difficulty. I'm not dismissing the longing for these things. I'm not wanting to diminish those things, but I want us to see that we all find ourselves in this perpetual pattern of waiting and wanting something, and then it arrives, and then a few moments pass, and then that thing is now tired and old in some ways. I remember specifically in fifth grade telling my mom, "I was like, I just want to be in middle school." And I'm I mean, like, genuinely, it's just like, who has ever said that, you know? Like, because once you get into middle school, like, I want to get in high school now. And then I got to high school and I wanted a girlfriend. And then I got a girlfriend. Then I didn't want a girlfriend. And then I just wanted to graduate high school. And I wanted to, I wanted to get to college. And then I wanted my own house. I wanted to graduate college. I wanted to get married. I wanted to have, like, we're always wanting the next thing. And I'm not dismissing the longings of our hearts. But all I'm asking us is, what is it that we are ultimately waiting for? And is it actually going to be worth it? What is it that we're all waiting around for? I believe that waiting allows us the opportunity to hope in God's promises. And the thing that Jeremiah hoped for, the thing that enabled him to have hope in the midst of his pain, was ultimately the salvation of the Lord. Look at verses 25 and 26. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So Jeremiah sits lamenting over the desolation of Jerusalem and his people and the temple. And yet, as Jeremiah's eyes are filling with tears, in that moment, he is still able to see the hope of Israel. He is still able to long for the salvation, the deliverance, the rescue, the restoration of all things that God has promised. And I can't help but wonder that in this moment, Jeremiah perhaps is bringing to mind the words he penned in chapter 33 of Jeremiah, where he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely, and this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. In this moment, Jeremiah was able to call to mind the loyal love of God in the midst of his painful waiting because he had hope that this desolation, the destruction of his people in the temple would not be the end of the story of God's people or of God's work of redeeming all things. And the amazing thing about this is when you look at Jeremiah, the hope he had, the hope was in this promise, the, the promised one, the, the righteous branch of King David, the one who would come and establish justice and righteousness for God's people and throughout all creation. It was this hope that Jeremiah only saw in part It was was fuzzy, it was foggy, he did not see it clearly. And the new mercy that you and I have each and every day is to be able to see in greater clarity the promise that Jeremiah hoped for, only in part, we see it in the fulfillment of Jesus. We have the new mercy of knowing that the promise that Jeremiah hoped in, which was incomplete and foggy, it was was fuzzy, we see it in in full in the fulfillment of Christ Jesus. And yet we still are expected to wait. Yes, we see a greater clarity with greater vision that Jesus is the fulfillment of these promises, that Jesus is the one who will execute justice, that Jesus is the the great, divine, righteous branch of King David, and yet the fullness of this promise is still to come. But the promise of God, the promise of God is that Christ will return to restore all things and 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 this hope is what enables us to actively hope, because if you notice, waiting on the Lord is not this passive thing. We don't just sit down and twiddle our thumbs. Notice what Jeremiah says. He says, "The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him." Our waiting and hope does not make us lazy. It does not make us complacent. Instead, it compels us knowing because God has fulfilled his promises thus far, because he has been faithful throughout time, because his loyal love knows no end, we can hope. And it's what compels us to know him, to seek him, to love him, to obey him, to join him in his work of redeeming all things. The truth is, is that you and I, we are all waiting for something. We are all waiting for something to come and and alleviate the pain of life. We're waiting for something to bring us hope. The question is, is it worth it and will it last? And man, what a better time of year to reflect on this question of what what we're waiting for. What a better time of year than the season of Advent that that we enter into next week. The season of Advent where we simultaneously rejoice in God's goodness and provision in bringing Christ the King, but as we also wait for his great and glorious return. The season of Advent is is an opportunity for us to press in to this beautiful gift of waiting. And I say that not to diminish or dismiss the pain of our waiting, but to see it as an opportunity to wait on the Lord. So yes, waiting is the worst, but it might also be what is best for us. So may we wait with hope in the one who was promised to come, in the one who has come, and the one who was promised to come again to make all things new. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you in prayer, asking, Lord, that in our pain, in our longing, in our suffering, Lord, I I recognize that in this room there is great longing, there is great waiting, there is great despair, Lord, would you meet us in our waiting? Would you show us that you have been faithful and good to us? Lord, would you prepare us? Would your spirit give us the eyes of our heart to see the way in which your mercies are new every morning and that your faithfulness is great? And Lord, would you restore in us the hope that you are the king of all things and that you will come to redeem and restore all things for the good of your people and the glory of your name? We ask this in Christ's name, amen. Well, i do hope and pray that as we just heard jeremiah's honest lamentations that, that it is in no way dismissing or discrediting the pain and the sorrow and the waiting that we all experience but what i do pray for is that in the midst of our waiting we might see a god whose whose promises are greater it does not take away the pain and the sorrow now but enables us and gives us the ability to wait without falling into despair So may we be a people who are able to remember and reflect on God's loyal love, who are able to have eyes to see and delight in his good mercies today and to hope in the promises that are yet to come. Well, as we leave this place, as as people of hope in the risen Christ, hear these words from the Apostle Paul from Romans chapter five as our benediction, our good word for the road. May these words bless us as we leave. Brothers and sisters, rejoice in your sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Go in peace. Have a great week. Amen.